Hello, everyone. This is Mike, and welcome to the Manager Tools Premium Member Call. Uh, we're thrilled that you're taking time out of your busy schedule tonight and, and joining us. We know how incredibly busy you all are. Um, and lately, so lately we've been trying some new things, and today's call is one of those. Recently, we did a charter member call with uh, folks who had been with us from the very beginning, and the feedback was so good, we thought we'd expand the audience. Tonight, we have several hundred people that are scheduled to join us, so we're going to push the envelope for a little bit. Um, before we start, just a couple of just logistical notes. Now, as, as we communicated earlier, we're scheduled to end the call tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. You'll note that we started in, on time, as you might expect, and so we're going to end on time tonight as well. So for those of you who are torn between manager tools and Monday night football, Okay, Mark, I don't know who made that decision. That wasn't me. We're going to make sure to get out of here before uh, even halftime starts. Um, also, everybody, you are currently on mute. We've received a number of questions prior to tonight's call, thanks to a lot of uh, great members, and we're going to try to get through all of those. If at the end we do have time for additional questions, we'll open up the questions then. I, will, I, I won't give you all the instructions now. You'll just forget them, listening to uh, Mark's uh, keen advice. So <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll share that with you um, if we get to the point where we can, we can uh, invite people to ask questions. We have, like I said, we have several hundred people scheduled uh, to be on the call tonight. So even though it, this isn't as interactive as we'd like it to be, we didn't think that a free-for-all with several hundred people on the call would probably be terribly effective. So we're going to try hard to maximize the value of the 60 minutes we have together tonight. But one last thing before we, we start. I think you, you all heard at the beginning this call is being recorded, so we're going, to, we're going to do our best to anonymize those folks who did ask questions so you don't potentially don't get embarrassed if uh, it's out there. But we're going to record tonight's call and make that available for all the premium, member, premium members on the website. So if, if you do get a chance to ask questions at the end, just keep that in mind. All right. With that, Mark, let's want to get uh, going with the questions. Sure. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, my participant list says we're up to 95, which is great. Hopefully uh, even more will join. Um, the plan was for you to make a few comments at the beginning. I want to share a thought I've had running around in my head recently, and then I'll get to all the questions and I'll go through them as fast as I can. Um, a thought I've been having lately, um, some of you have been to conferences have heard me say this before. We often ask people in, in, a, in a conference audience, um, hey, is your family more important than work? And everybody raises their hand. And then we ask for the directs, is their family more important than their work? And usually all hands go up. Every once in a while we've had a couple of people actually say, nope, my family is more important than work, but no, my, for my directs, it's just the opposite. Not opposite. Which is bizarre and stupid, but nevertheless, I, I suppose that's a, that's a form of galactically stupid. Um, the point is, you're not that much different from your directs. Um, and also, when you think about it, just hierarchically, your boss is not that much different than you. Um, and, and I think sometimes we as managers get into our head that we're different. Um, even if we're a middle manager, even if we're a director and we have managers working for us and we work for a vice president, for instance, um, somehow there's a perception that, well, I'm different and that they don't understand. Generally speaking, if you're thinking to yourself, 
I'm different, or they don't. Um, uh, if you're thinking you're different, if you're thinking that I'm, I'm somehow unique and my promotion has made me unique, you're probably wrong, okay? And, and I'll take that a step further. There's often a case when we talk to people about their relationship with their teams and their relationship with their boss. They describe them very differently. They say, my boss doesn't really know kind of what's going on, but me and my team, they know me and I know them, and we trust each other and so on. And there's this weird sort of dichotomy, sort of a scotoma, a blind spot that a lot of managers have. And I'm, I'm going to suggest that in the next month or two, um, you consider that in, in some of your communications, um, in, in terms of how you interact with your boss, and in terms of how you interact with your directs. This may be a modern form of, hey, power corrupts, um, but I think too often, um, for instance, when we ask people to start one-on-ones and they say, well, what if my directs say this, or what if my directs say that, or gee, I'm sure they're going to push back here, or they're going to push back there. And we say, well, okay, let us, let us tell you how we recommend you handle those, those, com those comments, those concerns. But then we ask them, let me see a show of hands. And recently we were in Seattle, Mike and I were, and it was 35 people in the room. And we said, how many of you would resist a request for your boss, from your boss to meet with you weekly and, or um, that you just generally feel comfortable saying no to your boss's request for meetings and you don't think there'll be any repercussions and your boss doesn't have any right to ask for meeting time with you. And no one ever raises their hand. And yet everyone at the same time seems to think that their directs will have all these reasons why they're not going to like this, this new plan they're putting in place. And, and that, again, is related to, I think, the fact that so many of us see ourselves so much differently than our directs. Because if you've got a boss, then you're a direct as well. Probably the way you respond to your boss is the way your directs are going to respond to you. Now, there's probably somebody who's listening, or over 100 people right now, that, that is going to say, no, 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 my boss is different. But I would just caution you, that's um, probably not true. You're not that much different. You're a human soul just like everybody else. You have the same wants and needs, generally speaking, as everybody else. You go home to a family, probably. Um, that family puts burdens on you. There are times when you want to work when you're at home, when your family's a, a burden. There are times when you want to leave work at work. Um, so you're probably not that much different. Keep that in mind. And if you're, if you're planning communications, planning something, and you think everything's different above me and below me, you're probably wrong to think again. Always a good way to start, right, Mike, just telling everybody that they're wrong. Like, like, yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, no, I, and look, I've, I've experienced it. We can lose anybody, though. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've experienced it, too. I feel there have been times where I felt like I just wasn't aware. I just didn't have situational vertical awareness, if you will, if you want to call it that, organizational vertical awareness. Let's call it that, OVA, right? You've got to be aware that there's there, there are distinctions, and yet they're probably not as great as you think. Um, and of course, look. The harder you work to build relationships, the easier those, the, the greater, the smaller those distinctions become over time. Okay. All right. And enough pontificating. Let's get to questions. I'm going to go in order the questions were presented to me. Um, Wendy has kindly anonymized them for me, so I'm going to list the name. Um, uh, I don't know who actually asked the question. I, I have shared. Um, that I, I do want to share that it's possible 
that if I had known who asked this and I knew that person exceptionally well out of all, you know, 150, 100,000 of our members, however many members we have, it's possible I could give a slighter, deeper, better answer. If I knew your boss or if I knew all your directs, that's probably true for only 100 or so people in the world, and I can't be sure that those people are on the phone, although I, I see Tom Houseman and um, – uh, Ian Perrin and some, uh, Gary Archer and so on, some people who have uh, been with us for a long, long time. So if, if I am answering your question and you feel like I've given an answer that really surprises you and and maybe you want to have a discussion about it afterwards and say, gee, I think if you knew more about my situation, Mark, you might have given a different answer. I'm happy to do that for you uh, by email uh, in a separate conversation. Okay, let's get to the questions. I have one from Andrew. Uh, the first question is, when are you guys holding a conference in Australia? We need you here. Um, uh, actually, we were there last week, Andrew. Sorry we missed you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, we, we regret a couple of years ago suggesting we were coming and, and then felt like that there wasn't really the demand. Um, and, and frankly, um, we regret it even more now because in the last two years, uh, my travel schedule has just become brutal um, to the point where um, Mike demanded about two or three months ago no travel this week and next week, the week before and the week of uh, Thanksgiving uh, here in the U.S., just because I was gone every single day um, or every single week for, I don't know, 16, 18, 20 weeks, something like that. Um, uh, and Australia is a is a logistical challenge for us. It's we we basically have to give up a week. Do we want to come? Yes. Um, are we working with some people who have asked us to consider client stuff? Yes. Are we trying to put all those pieces together? Yes. Do we think it's going to happen next next year? We don't know. It's definitely not going to happen in the next three to four months. Um, and um, we'd like it to happen. Um, we, we suspect there's going to be more business in Southeast Asia or potentially China, and if we do that, it's probably going to be, you know, 10 days or something like that, in which case we will. I mean, Australia, a public conference in Australia is very high on our list, provided we can make the logistics work. We keep our conferences fairly inexpensive, um, but in order to make a conference work in Australia with any kind of margins to justify the, the opportunity cost of being out for a week or two, um, we do have to charge a great deal more and have a lot more people. So um, so we struggle with that. We don't have a good answer, Andrew. I apologize. Um, and uh, uh, I encourage the Aussies in the world, you know, oi, 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 continue telling us you want us to come. And at some point, Mike and I'll break down and, and come. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, next question. Also, I think, from an Andrew. Um, and for those of you who saw the questions, this is the one about a chain of beauty salons and their franchise salons as well. Um, Andrew shared some of the struggles they're having operationally. Um, the key question was, should one-on-one -on -one format change with franchisees and franchisee managers as opposed to that with their own team members? And the answer is yes. Um, I've done some work with franchises over the years. Um, in fact, what I have found is it's one of the few places where I think operating agreements, uh, legal contracts are very important. And um, I'm tempted to say, go talk to a, to a McDonald's um, uh, and find out exactly how their franchise 
franchisee relations are handled. I think there are thousands of people in Chicago, which is where McDonald's is headquartered in the U.S., who do nothing but worry about franchisee relationships. And in the size and scope of organization you have, Andrew, that's, I, of course, I know you can't do that. Um, I, 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 have, I have been in many, many situations where franchisee relationships have been quite fractious, have been very difficult. Um, he, here, as, here is what I have found. Um, first of all, to answer your question, yes, definitely go to the project manager one-on-one format because, of course, for a franchisee, you don't need to be talking to them about the future. You're not managing their career. They're independent business owners or, you know, in the case of owners who are absent, which is frustrating um, but nevertheless real. And you're talking to a, a store manager, essentially, uh, somebody who is employed by the owner of the franchise. Yeah, you're not going to have the, the, the candor, and, and you, they're not an employee of the internal organization that gives you some, some leverage and also some insight to what they want and how they want to achieve it. Um, so definitely go with the 1515 um, guidelines that we have in our project manager 03, and you leave out the entire discussion about the future. Um, the next question is, um, we're consistently confronted with a franchisee overruling our direction and initiatives by way of selecting what they allow their teams to take on and what they ignore due to the effort required in implementing systems and procedures. Um, you mentioned that franchisees are absent owners and leaving their business in the hands of managers. The franchisees that do best follow our system policies and procedures to a T. Those who choose not to lack consistency, deliver substandard client experience, and affect the overall image of the brand and perform poorly by comparison. Uh, a couple of thoughts. If you're not already doing it, I encourage you to share um, store uh, results, and I encourage you to break them out by franchise versus non-franchise and, and um, which ones are following which plans and so on. I would make it a more persuasive argument about the, 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 the franchisees who follow the company plan and the company processes and procedures. Here's their numbers, and here are your numbers. Um, I, I recommend you communicate assertively and you let go of their results. Um, you're simply, uh, um, there are broken hearts all over uh, companies who franchise because franchisees don't do what you want them to do. Um, the whole point of franchising is to give up control to increase growth. Well, that's what you've got. You've given up control. You, you, you don't have control. It's not a company-owned store. The fact is some of them are going to be done poorly. There's nothing you can do about an individual store's poor performance uh, unless you have um, um, opportunities to revisit them through the, uh, through the franchisee legal agreement. Um, and, and their negative impact on the brand um, you can't control it, and the harder you work, um, in other words, the more you push, the, the least likely, the less likely that franchise owner is going to be open to it. I, I recommend you build relations with a franchise owner as much as you possibly can. I recommend you be as persuasive as possible. You present your case as persuasively as you possibly can. Um, if you've got an owner who runs, who franchises multiple stores. I recommend you talk to all the store managers individually, a la the pre-wire um, recommendation we make, which is one of our probably ten, Mike and I's ten favorite casts of all time. Um, and you do your very best 
and you, you throw up your hands when it's done. And if that business owner is tarnishing your brand in terms of lower margins and so on, if, if he or she truly is an owner that's interested in margins and returns and so on, they'll figure it out and they'll either get rid of the franchise or they'll get better at it. And, and you're getting their growth without their control. And, and I would also say um, check to see um, what the requirements are for becoming a franchise owner and find out whether or not there are, uh, there's interviews and whether or not there's operational requirements and, and become more picky. Um, find, you know, do a survey or do, do a review with your partner of the key people um, that have been successful and those that haven't. Find the common uh, points between the successful franchisees and the not successful ones and use that in your criteria to determine whether or not you're going to sell a franchise to them. Um, and early on franchises, you're lucky if half of them toe the line. That's the general rule. So if you've got more than half of your franchises right now, Andrew, doing what you want them to do, you're doing well. And, and you're not going to make that much of an impact. Um, and it's one of the struggles of owning a business and franchising. And if you have more, if you feel like I've been too vague, I apologize. Send me a long note and I'll be happy to answer um, in more detail. Um, franchising is a great model in principle, as long as you're okay with the lack of control, which a lot of business owners are not. That's not anything. That's not a reflection on, on Mike and I. <laughs> um, okay, next question is from Dale. Um, my department consists of programmers. We're having a difficult time getting work done. I want to move. I found a place uh, elsewhere, found an alternative area, no cost to the company, no negative impact on the business. I want, to, I want to move my department, and my boss's boss has denied us any chance of moving. And the question is, and by the way, really great question. I'm so glad. Dale, thank you for asking this. This is a pet peeve of mine. Um, I thought you were going to ask, how do I convince my boss's boss to change his mind? And the answer is, don't. <laughs> don't try that. But the question is a brilliant one. How do I relay this decision to my directs? I don't want animosity to develop between them and upper management, although I don't like the next thing, even though it might be justified. No, animosity is not justified. Um, you have an idea, and it didn't get approved. Um, you know, Wendy has ideas that I don't approve all the time. Um, I have ideas that Mike doesn't approve all the time. I mean, it's, it's not your company to run. And, and, yeah, you may disagree with your boss's boss. He, he, in the note, Dale says, my boss's boss is all about perception of power. You know, this goes back to the point I made earlier uh, at the start about maybe that's not the case. Maybe it is, but I know a lot of senior people um, that I've coached who come to find out at lower levels they weren't well-liked when, in fact, they were brilliantly effective. And they said, look, I haven't had time to build the relationships yet, but the fact is we're headed in the right direction, and they don't like me because I'm the change agent. Um, so how do you relate this to your directs? Well, first of all, okay, now yeah, let me go further. Dale goes on to say, I have a clear logical argument that my directs have seen. However, I don't have a logical reason as to why these moves can't happen. I have handled this in the past by saying I'm working on different angles, um, and, and you know, I've tried and I haven't been successful. So look, Dale. You cannot throw your boss or your boss's boss under the bus, okay? You, well, at Procter & Gamble, when we promoted somebody, we used to give them a little card, and the card said, when they became a first-line, front-line manager, the first promotion management, and the card said, welcome to they. 
Um, you're now, you now speak for the company, Dale. You speak for your boss and your boss's boss. Part of the burden of being a manager is when your bosses say something you don't like, you have to support it. And for everybody listening, if you're not comfortable supporting an idea that your bosses say you have to promulgate to your group, you need to either get comfortable, figure out how to persuade people that you are comfortable, or you need to quit. Okay? There's far too much unprofessional subordination. I don't call it insubordination, but I'm calling it unprofessional subordination happening in vertical organizations these days. I worry a little bit about it, particularly with um, the younger um, the younger workforce. Um, they have been led to believe that they're special. Don't take that wrong, you young folks. Um, you're not any more special than any other human being on the world in the world. Um, and the the trophy generation stuff is all a load of crap. Um, people are individuals, and we treat people as individuals. Um, our generations aren't that much different other than we tend to be taller and healthier than the previous generation. Um, and, and so the way you relate to the directs is pretty simple, Dale. You say, look, I did my best, uh, and we're not going to go forward. Um, the bosses shared with me um, that they were concerned about uh, communication with other people in, in the organization, and I wasn't successful. And I agree with their decision, and uh, so we're not going to move. Um, now, Dale, if you want to send me a note and say, what do I do about walk-by traffic and so on, I'll be happy to address that. And, and, and frankly, I know this will be really hard to hear, Dale, but walk-by traffic is not a problem. When, when somebody walks by me and they interrupt me and then I start talking to them, I'm the one that interrupted me, not the other person. I could simply ignore them and go about continuing to work. Um, you know, uh, I think we're easily distracted. We want to talk to other people. And if I turn my head from the work I'm doing, that's my fault. It's nobody else's fault. Um, now, you could probably put up some signs, quiet development going on. Um, I've been in places where literally you could tell where developers were on a floor because it was dark where they worked. And they wanted to send a message. They turned a lot of the lights off. They wanted to send a message, this is a quiet area. Uh, and people steered clear of it, in fact. They, they, um, they avoided it. Now, it sounds like physically you can't do that. Um, and yet still, you can probably talk to your folks about their own behavioral change. They won't like you for it, um, but you didn't ask me how to get them to like you. Um, so what you say is, unfortunately, I was unsuccessful. I liked the idea. They, they disagreed. They told me, here are the reasons why not. Um, and I stand by that decision. Now, when your directs challenge you and say, gee, I thought you went in there for X, and why are you telling us why? Yeah, I went in there for X, and now um, we're not going to do it. Uh, we, we, by the way, we call this murdering the unchosen alternative. X and Y were on the table. You recommended X. Your boss, your boss recommended Y. X didn't get chosen, and so now X is dead. And so you might say, I did recommend it, but we're not going to talk about it anymore. Uh, it's not been approved. Now, you might wait for your boss or your boss's boss to change, do it again, um, pitch it up again. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I wouldn't pitch it again. And, and if your directs get ticked, and let's say they say, I think he's an idiot, I, I would say, well, I, I wouldn't characterize it that way. Um, and uh, I, if, if I were in the meeting, Dale, and you told me that, or I, I told you, hey, boss, hey, Dale, I, I think the boss is, your boss's boss is an idiot, I'd encourage you to say something like, well, thanks, Mark. We'll talk about that later. And then my one-on-one, -on -one, you should tell me, hey, can I give some feedback? When you call my boss's boss an idiot, it makes you look unprofessional. You're not, we're not going to get everything we want day to day. Sometimes things don't go our way, and we need to learn to live with it and accept it. Yeah, I, Mark, I, I think there's two, two real key points there. One is 
is you can't throw your boss under the bus. And the other one yeah. is ever, 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 yeah. ever. If you do it, if you do it, wait for your people to do it to you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You can't do it. And, and secondly is, is putting this thing to bed. The tendency of managers to do is to soft-pedal it. Yeah. Hey, I'll keep trying. I'll, I'll try a different route. And what happens is you spend the next 30, 60 days just cycling on something that's not going to happen. You know, take the pain, you know, take the, take the knife now, get done with the pain and get over it so you can get on to the next thing. Yep, we're not going to move. I'm sorry. I tried. I was unsuccessful. The, the rationales were given to me were reasonable because of communication, because of other things. Um, and so we're not going to move. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Let's talk about how we can make this thought the best we can possibly make it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Next question from Gary. I was hoping to get more information I had to interview someone. So was I, Gary. <laughs> the cast and the hiring process have been helpful, but more insight on the process would be great. Um, yeah, Gary, this is an area that I, I really feel strongly about. Um, there have been several mea culpas that we've, you know, given out, we've been candid with in the last couple of years. Um, you know, we regret that, that we didn't put out the rolling out the Trinity cast sooner. There's so many people. We had never delivered the way we deliver with podcasts before. We always had a relationship with the managers and executives that we were sharing our ideas with. To not ever met some of you and then all of a sudden everybody say, after three months worth of cast, say, hey, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, delegation, meetings, it's awesome. And then people got mad because they couldn't do everything. They tried to change everything and their head exploded. Um, one of my regrets is as much fun uh, as interviewing is, and as hugely important as it is, hopefully many of you know that the most important thing you do as a manager is to hire the right people. And if you hire right, management really gets a lot easier. Um, we just haven't done that many casts on it. And and uh, there's a, a blessing and a curse. The blessing is we've covered a lot of other things, and the curse is we haven't gotten to how to interview. Um, we, um, there are some other questions later about the interviewing uh, tool, and um, I'll let Mike share with you. Um, we're moving along on that, we, but we promised it before. We're not promising it now. Um, <laughs> no, please. Um, yeah, we, we promised it because we intended to, and we never – the whole reason we started Manager Tools was to reach individual managers like we're doing tonight, uh, that we don't have your company between us, and yet your companies are hiring us so fast that we're – trying hard to figure out how to balance things. Um, and as I mentioned in one of our my premium um, premium member emails recently, you know, business is good and I, Mike's not been on the road as much and we're probably going to have to hire somebody to help me out. Um, and, and that's a good thing, but it means I don't have enough time to do important stuff like interviewing. Uh, when we do that, um, we're going to start putting out more casts on a regular basis about interviewing. Um, I think it's conceivable we could have 50 casts about how to interview people um, over the course of the next five years, and and I'm hoping we would get, you know, 10 or so next year. Um, And, Gary, what I'd love is um, for you to listen in, because I know there are a couple other questions in the queue that are about about interviewing. Uh, In fact, the next one um, from Brian. Uh, Gary, let me mention one more thing. Gary, I don't know who you are. Wendy will tell me after the cast, but I will at least put out one more cast about interviewing before the end of the year. I don't think I've ever promised a particular cast by a particular period of time, but Gary, you asked, so I'll do it. Uh, I know it's not enough, um, but, but I'll do the best I can. Okay, the next question is from Brian. When you're interviewing a candidate, can you share some strategies for keep them, keeping them on track? Oh, how they love to ramble. <laughs> Um, okay, so look, one simple thing 
Um, and where it's a mission, uh, you, you, there are several several answers in here. But the first thing you have to do is you ask, you, you ask specific questions, and, and and you don't ask these, don't make up any flippant questions, folks. Um, ask behavioral questions and say, take three or four minutes and describe a situation where you had to persuade someone who disagreed with you to see your point of view, and you were able to work together after that. I made that one up off the top of my head. Okay. I started out by saying, take three to four minutes. Now, look, Brian, when they get three to four minutes, say, okay, we're at three to four minutes. I've got some good stuff here. Let me probe a little bit, okay? Now, one of the casts we'll, 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 we'll put out at some point is about how to probe and, and how to listen, how to hear, how to grade if in your head, um, evaluate in your head um, a behavioral interviewing answer. What you're really looking for, and I know you guys will be sick of hearing it, is behaviors specific behaviors, rather than saying you want to be energetic. You say, well, okay, great. You inter when people use um, emotional words, attitudinal words, uh, um, words that are adjectives and adverbs, you probe there. You say, okay, great. You want to be energetic. We like energetic. What would you do that would show you were energetic? And I promise you, the first time you interview somebody, they're going to say, well, you know, you have a lot of energy. <laughs> okay, good. Well, and you say, well, thank you for that. I, I totally agree. That's a, that's a great answer. And how would you show me you had energy? And here's, here's a great uh, interjection. What would I see you doing that afterwards, if we watched the videotape of you doing it, you would say, Mark, right there I was energetic. Okay? Um, so if they're not really answering your question, how do, I let, how do you let them know to do so? Um, you, you, you start by saying, hey, you got three or four minutes. Something else, Brian. Um, it, it depends, but if you're interviewing a manager, give them three to four minutes, and if they ramble three or four times, say no to them. Look, if somebody can't answer a question in three to four minutes, don't hire them. Um, the, behavioral interviewing is not rocket science, nor is it black art. It's not, it's not like no one knows about this stuff. Every college kid, every senior in the top 250 colleges in the country has been told by career services about behavioral interviewing. I don't, I mean, I literally don't know a single professional that doesn't know at least the concept of behavioral interviewing. Um, so, look, if they can't, you know, if they're rambling for eight or ten minutes, stop them. After five minutes, say, look, you've been going for five minutes now. Let me stop and let me ask you some more specific questions. You said X a couple of minutes ago. Expand upon that. And, 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 look, I hate to tell you this, Brian, but when you ask them to expand, they're going to pontificate some more. They're going to give you some more attitudinal answers. They do that three or four or five times. Stop. Be done. Okay? Next question. Should you try to keep an interview to the time you have allotted for it, or is it more important to stop when you feel you've gotten to know all you need to? Okay, look, if you know everything you need to know to say no to a person, stop interviewing. Do not decide no on somebody, unless it's the first two minutes. Um, although, frankly, I've been interviewing so long now. In two minutes, I would probably, <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. probably stop. And and and, and I'd be interested. I'd be interested in Wendy's comments on this as well. But but look, um, after 15 minutes, if you know what you need to know and you're certain you're going to say no, I have found that particularly uh, managers who don't have a lot of experience. They get themselves in trouble by, by they don't care anymore about the interview. They don't interview 
um, the person anymore in their head. They're done evaluating. And so they make up questions and just sort of chit-chat a little bit, and then all of a sudden the question slips out that oughtn't to have slipped out, and now the manager's in trouble. And now you're at risk by saying no because you've given them grounds to come back to you. Something else you can do is let's say you have a, a, you're scheduled for an hour, okay? And um, maybe 30 minutes in, you've decided you're no way you're going to say yes. But, but you don't want to end it. You feel like that would be embarrassing or they're your best friend's kid or whatever. Okay, fine, fine. Then just go through the interview. Just ask behavioral question after behavioral question after behavioral question and look for data to rule them out. And then if anybody asks, why did you say no to this person? Because he said this to this question and this to this question, and he didn't have this and he didn't have this and he didn't have this. When I questioned him on that, he gave me a really bad answer in this way. And, and you just bury anybody who I have doubts, HR or fellow manager or person who referred him, you just bury them with negative input. And they go, oh, sorry. You say, yeah, no problem. Happy to interview your friends anytime you want. Um, and, of course, they won't refer anybody unless they're fabulous in the future, which what's wrong with that? Um, now, if you have an hour scheduled and you're an hour into the interview and you're not done, okay, if you want to go a little longer, fine, go a little longer, go 90 minutes. Um, I don't recommend going into longer than 90 minutes. Now, if it goes 90 minutes because the guy rambles for 15 minutes every question and you don't know how to shut him off, that's a different problem. But if the person's being crisp and you're still not getting everything you want, you want to give them another 30 minutes, you want to give them the doubt, no problem. Go ahead and do it. Um, uh, there's a co co comment in here from Brian. If, I've heard you find out all you need to know in an hour, but I never feel that way. So, Brian, that's okay. It's your interview. You have to hire this person. Um, I've, I've, had, I've had interviews that an hour and 15 minutes, the person said something that made me go, okay, that's great. I don't go any longer than 90 minutes because 90 minutes just your brain is dead at that point. People aren't going to get better at 90 minutes. They're going to get sloppier because they think, this must be going good because he keeps talking to me. Um, what are some ways to practice asking questions and probing for answers? I, Brian, I'm going to leave that to a, series, to a cast or a couple of casts that I'll try to get to in the next three to six months. Um, the best way to practice asking questions is just to, to use the interview tool when it comes out. Um, um, I'll give you another trick that I use. You're gonna, you guys are going to laugh at this. You might think my friends wouldn't like it, but they don't know any better. When I'm talking to my friends and a friend of mine, I'll, I'll pick on him, Tom Hausman. If Tom were to say, hey, Mark, I need some help on something, um, if Tom had skills that I thought might be great for manager tools, I might say, hey, Tom, tell me more about that. What did he do? What did you say? And so on. Um, and because I've interviewed tens of thousands of people in my life, I don't – I mean, I ask questions in a, in a casual tone of voice with generally casual words, and I interweave it into a conversation. And, and probing in a conversation um, is, is, is exactly like probing an interview. It would be something like, Tom, wait a minute. Did you just say he said X? What did you do then? You've got to be kidding me. He actually said X to you? This, this, this provost said X? Oh, my gosh. What did you say? Now, now – I'm probably laughing right now, um, but but um, th that's that's how I would ask a question. That, that's how I would uh, put an interjection to somebody in an interview. So that's what I would do there. Um, let's see some more questions. Some interview resources, such as Swan, a great one by the way, recommend spending the interview going through work history, school, etc., probing deep. Yeah, I like Swan a great deal. Others, such as Manager Tools, recommending developing a full set of behavioral questions and asking those. Are the two strategies incompatible? No, no. Um, are the two separate interviews? No. 
probably, um, and by the way, Brian, I don't have any problem you interviewing somebody five times. Remember, we want to put the bar really, really high. I must have talked to Wendy for 20 or 30 hours before I ever hired her. Um, so, so you can absolutely have two or three or four interviews. And if somebody says to you, gee, I don't, you know, particularly in a market like today, somebody says to you, I don't, uh, you know, this is long. I, I'm surprised. You need another interview? Yeah, I like to be sure. And the reason I like to be sure is if I hire you, you'll know I'll provide, um, you'll provide the same um, uh, level of, uh, I'll provide the same level of, of standard to somebody else as well. Um, so you're protecting the team by hiring the right person. Um, how should you think of another question from Brian? How should you think about multiple interviews? Um, uh, more, more is better, Brian. The purpose of secondary interviews is to gather more data. Um, if you spend an hour with somebody and you want to hire them, you have not spent long enough. Spend five or ten hours. The, the, the only thing worse than hiring, uh, the, the only thing worse than having an opening is hiring the wrong person. What's the best way to take notes during an interview? You write down everything you hear, as much as you can. Do you recommend trying to score answers? No, I do not. Absolutely not. You re review your notes afterwards and draw a conclusion based on what you wrote down and what you remember from the interview. Finally, what's going on with the Manager Tools interview tool? Um, it's very elusive. Um, um, and, and all I can tell you, folks, is it's all, it, it really is cool, but it's it's hard both on the technology side in terms of implementing it on all the different platforms we're supporting now, um, and also in terms of uh, um, uh, the technology or in terms of the uh, the questions as well. We have to make sure we dot our I's and cross our T's. And we're, we we've been cutting it down, making it smaller so you can get done in less time. But more data in less time is harder. Um, I think Mark, you said earlier we're not going to promise that that got us in trouble last time. But yeah. I will, I think folks, uh, we owe folks uh, at least a status of where we are. So we have the tool largely developed. It's currently in the process of being stylized, if you will, in terms of the look and feel. We have yet to do usability testing, so that's kind of the next, the next step. But we've made a tremendous amount of progress in the last couple months. Um, and, I, and I take responsibility for where we are, so if you guys want to – you know, blame somebody, blame me. We made a poor choice in terms of uh, how we managed the effort in the past. We ended up having to um, move from a firm that was doing it uh, for us to hiring somebody or a contractor to work specifically under my guidance uh, to develop it. So after taking that approach, we've made a lot of progress. I, I look for what we'll, uh, I don't, we, we won't have it out by the end of this year, but shortly thereafter, uh, we should we should be there, so. Good. And Brian also asked, uh, doing the whole conference and interviewing, is it something we'd consider? Yeah. I wouldn't have mentioned if we were going to consider it. It's not It's not going to happen next year, but, but it's going to happen, Brian, I promise. It's too important for us not to do it. Next question is from Rich. Um, only the president has an admin in my company. Can you offer some guidance how to convince the VPs that getting admins will be effective and save money? No, because we don't manage our bosses. Don't try to convince your VPs to have admins. It's not going to work. You're not going to convince. VPs just aren't going to look down and say, oh, yeah, you're smarter than me, and I'm going to get an admin. Some companies, some cultures just don't understand that time is money, and they don't understand managerial economics 101, that an admin should be doing that kind of stuff, or we recommend an admin do that kind of stuff. So, no, I, I wish I could, 
and it is spectacularly unsuccessful to try to convince executives. As a manager, to try to convince executives, I can tell you how to manage your time better, and have you having an admin will be way better. Um, on the other hand, someday one VP is going to get one, and if you not perform everybody else's, and then everybody else is going to get one, and then everything's going to change. Sorry, I wish I could do more, Rich. Um, the next is from Mara. How would you recommend gaining buy-in and deploying the Trinity in 100% remote, no offices, and highly matrix organization? Um, well, if we're talking about you managing people in different locations than you, then you then you deploy the Trinity by phone. You do one-on-ones over the phone. Um, you do coaching during your one-on-ones over the phone. You give feedback over the phone. You don't give feedback by email or text or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, anything else. Um, then you delegate over the phone. Um, we've got a couple of casts on virtual organizations. We're going to put out a couple of more. Um, I've had some additional questions put to me recently that make me realize that some of our earlier guidance could have been crisper, more, more crisp. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, um, look, Wendy's distant from me, and I, I delegate to her. We do one-on-ones. She gets feedback, which she loves, by the way. Um, and, and so, um, and frankly, I think companies are really stupid in that they think that, well, we can go virtual because of technology, when, in fact, the, the limitation has never been technology. Limitation is always managerial behavior, and um, managers aren't ready for it. Managers don't do well managing people face-to-face, frankly. Um, and and uh, interesting data point for you all, um, um, if you work on a different floor in the same building um, as one of your directs, that direct generally falls into the same category as somebody who's more than 500 miles distant from you in terms of your behavior. That's what the data show. Connectivity, communication, sense of trust, sense of team feeling, and so on. Literally one floor difference in the same office building, it's as if they're 100 miles, 500 miles away. Okay? Um, so you can deploy the Trinity um, over the phone. It works just fine. Uh, Mara, if you have more questions about that, or I think you your name wrong, maybe Mara, if that's the case, please send me more details. I'll be happy to answer um, privately. Um, Laura asked, what are your latest opinions of the Wall Street Journal? Um, uh, she's noted, Laura's noticed change since Murdoch bought the, paper, bought the paper, like less in-depth articles on day-to-day news. Uh, it's the best paper in the world, Laura, in my opinion. Um, it, it has a larger circulation than the New York Times, although that's only changed in the last five or ten years. Um, I, I love the journal still. I read it every day. Um, sometimes I miss a day and I get to read two or three days in a row on a one plane flight. It is like candy to me. Um, I wish it was required reading across the board. You know, I haven't noticed the change that you've noticed, Laura. I'm not saying it's not there. Um, I, there, there have been some, some structural changes, which generally I like. It was a pretty dry paper 20 years ago, although the, the famous saying in, in the finance world is if, it, if it's not in the journal, it didn't happen. Um, I just think you can learn an awful lot. If, if, if somebody pinned me down and said, pick two things that I have to read, I would say read the journal and read Fortune for most professional managers. The Fortune gets into a little bit more of the detailed stories behind the scenes um, because they're not required to, to cover every day's news. Um, so, yeah, I still love the journal. I, I still recommend it. Um, we still wish that they would figure out that we're – 
kicking serious butt as a podcasting company um, and as managing consultants. And they ought to, as often as we've recommended people subscribe and we've given away subscriptions and so on, you'd think they'd get some, give us some press, but they don't, and that's okay. <laughs> um, next question from Roger. How do you handle a direct that is unwilling to accept anything other than positive feedback even when using the model? Um, and by the way, Roger goes on to say, my direct, uh, this person who's complaining or who's got a problem uh, is a skip of Roger's. And so Roger's direct, who is this person's manager, used shot across the bow technique because the skip always dis disputed the behavior that was exhibited. Um, and um, the answer is, uh, if a person does X, um, and, and you, or let me put it this way, Roger, if, if, if Mike is the skip of yours and I'm your direct and I see you do something wrong, I'm your boss, um, I'm sorry, let me, let me get this straight. Mike's the boss, I'm the manager, Roger, and, and you're the skip. Roger, if you make the mistake, I'm obligated to give you feedback. When I see you do X, you may argue you didn't do X or you didn't mean X, which are two different things. Um, it doesn't really matter to me. Somebody has to be the adjudicator, and managers believes, and frankly, so does your company, believes that the manager is the adjudicator. If there's a difference of opinion, the manager wins. That's what role power, that's one of the benefits of role power. So, um, so when, uh, um, if you were to push back to me, I would use shot across the bow, and then after a series of pushbacks, um, I would use systemic feedback. In other words, I would say to you, hey, can I give some feedback? And I would say, uh, Roger, w when you repeatedly tell me that I'm wrong, when in fact I know I'm not, it makes me question whether or not you're going to be able to change and grow with the organization. Okay? Now, um, and, and so what are you going to do to change your response to the negative feedback, which I'm obligated to give you? Okay? Now, he's going to want to argue that you are wrong all the time. Let him argue. It's irrelevant. And I promise you, HR will support you on this. Um, uh, here's what you need to do. My recommendation is, Roger, you tell your, your direct. So just start making notes. And they only have to be on a yellow sticky saying, uh, I talked to Bob about X. I talked to Bob about Y. I talked to Bob about Z. I talked to Bob about A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I talked to Bob about G three times this week and so on. And just start keeping track. And, and um, don't shy away from giving negative feedback. Um, try to choose smaller, simpler feedback. Uh, my favorite one is lateness. I'm, I, people give me about it all the time. If this person's late, you know, um, if they say, hey, well, but I had a good reason. Say, okay, great. I, great, you had a good reason. And you were late. What are you going to do differently? Well, I can't believe you're picking on me. Okay, I, I understand you can't believe I'm picking on you, but to tell you the truth, I'm not picking on you. My question, though, is not that. I didn't ask you what you believed. I asked, what are you going to do differently? And if they finally just blow up and walk away, say, okay, uh, clearly we can't have this conversation. And then, and then later that day or tomorrow, I'll say, can I give some feedback? When you respond the way you did with a loud voice and, and, and re refuse to answer my questions that are about your professional development, it makes me feel like there's not a place for you on this team. And, and, and get 25, 30, 40 examples where you repeatedly talk to them about factual instances of behavior that they want to push back on and, and then uh, talk to them and say, look, we've had 25 or 30 of them, and then um, go talk to HR. Uh, have somebody in HR talk to them and say, look, your boss is talking to you about reasonable stuff, and um, you're not listening, and you need to change your behavior. Um, yeah. I think, Mark, I think the one thing, now these are always difficult because we can't have a conversation with Roger, but often what happens here is, and Roger, you use the term, 
getting feedback on behavior, but I go back and just make sure. And if yeah. I'm talking, yeah. I'd ask you, you know, describe to me the behavior. Yeah. You know, because often what folks do is they don't, they're not describing behavior, they're, they're characterizing behavior. Yeah, character. guy's got a bad attitude. Guy's got a bad attitude. Well, you know, that's not behavior. Attitude's not behavior. Behaviors are words you say, how you say them, your facial expressions, your body language, and your work product. Work product is quality, quantity, accuracy, timeliness, and documents. Okay. Um, next question, Roger asks, in my new role, I have a peer as new to management. Should I talk to our boss first about helping him or her develop, or should I just let it happen naturally? Roger, just let it happen naturally. Uh, you don't have to get your boss's approval to help a person. Um, don't act like you're all that. Just say, hey, if you ever need help, here's something like, you know, if you want to suggest manual tools to them, do that. You don't have to. Um, but, but, yeah, absolutely uh, do what you would want them to do if you were new. Uh, until they say, oh, I think I've got it, and then, you know, don't, don't, don't force it down their throat by going to the boss, and if, they don't, if they're not hearing you, walk away, because yeah. communication is what the listener does, and even if you know you're right and you think they're stupid, don't try to force it. All that will do is damage the relationship, and learning doesn't trump relationships, period. Right. Yeah, your boss won't be impressed, and your peer won't like Yeah, exactly. So you have two two less than friends. Okay, Linda asks, uh, as part of the Agile slash Scrum way of life, I have implemented daily 15-minute huddles. Uh, I'm wondering if you have encountered this model before, how this huddle methodology interacts with weekly one-on-ones. I love the huddle, Linda. I love Agile. I love Scrum. I think it's a great response to the big, unwieldy, um, non-communicative world, uh, particularly uh, software development. I think software development is, is moving toward the modern world in many ways. I think it's still, I think software development is still way too much cathedral and way too little bizarre. Um, and if you don't know what that reference is, folks, look it up. Um, and so, yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I encourage you to do it. Um, and, and I still recommend you have one-on-ones with each of your directs. Look, you can't have a relationship with a team. You can't, folks. It's impossible. You can only have relationships with members of those teams. The, the morning huddle is great. It's, about, it's a team meeting about what you're doing and what's going on and so on, but you're not related to each individual. You're gathering data. You're communicating with all of them, but you're communicating with each individual and not the entire team. The team does not communicate, individuals do. So you do the weekly one-on-one. Um, it says here that you only meet uh, bi-weekly every two weeks. Shame on you, Linda. I'm kidding. Um, two weeks is better than nothing. But if you're meeting every two weeks because you have the scrum every day, I, I would just tell you, I'll follow my sword on this one, you're meeting with them less often than you need to. You need to develop the individual relationships, and we have distinctive differences between directs who meet with their boss every week versus every two weeks. Now, look, software developers particularly, I don't think it says here that you're software development, but when you say agile scrum, that's the conclusion I draw. Correct me if I'm wrong privately in an email. But but, but look, uh, software developers don't like being managed. Well, let, let me just say for the record here in the most, my most professional possible voice, tough shit. Um, you are a professional. You are a part of a team. The company pays you. You're going to go to some meetings. You have to document your work. Who here hasn't managed a developer who says, I shouldn't have to document my work. I'm just so, so much of a genius. No other programmer needs to ever look at my code. I mean, just ask me. I'll tell you what you need to know. Right, Mike? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that just wonderful? Um, 
So look, software developers need to learn to be a part of a team and they need to be managed. And uh, they think that what they do is a black art and it's not because computers can do it and computers don't do black art. Um, so yeah, meet with them every week and have the scrum. I love the scrum. In fact, there have been times when I seriously thought about expanding the scrum into other places. Um, one place that I really think would be good is factory operations, but there's some issues there. Uh, next question is from Frankie. What must a manager consider when structuring his organization? <laughs> Whether or not he has the right to, Frankie. Um, generally speaking, most managers, frontline, second, third tier, whatever, don't have a great deal of, of um, um, say in what the structure of the organization is. Um, are there aspects that trump one trump another when seeking to prioritize the structure? Um, yeah, there are, and you mentioned some, Frankie, manager strengths, functional strengths, ship work processes. There are really too many. I can say this. As a general rule, the first two steps are um, within the rubric of organize toward the customer in a way that aligns your resources to deliver the best customer resources as possible, customer results as possible, even if that makes it harder for you. Don't organize for internal ease, organize for customer, whether that customer is internal or external to your firm, organize for customer results. And then the two rules that you have underneath that is understanding that there's going to be some verticality when people ask about organization, what they mean is verticality. And if you need a rough start, rule number one is put eight people underneath each person. <laughs> um, that's that's the, 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 the guideline. And the second rule is and this is where everybody makes a mistake because they never consider this. They try to make it a me mechanistic process and you don't want that. The next thing is consider the people and the roles you have, okay? So, for instance, um, if, if, if the previously the chief operating officer of the company had, say, four lines of business reporting to her and, and the chief administrative officer had the legal department and the financial department reporting uh, to him, okay? The CFO reported to say this CAO. If, on the other hand, your COO is likely to become the next CEO of the company, you might say, hey, COO, I'm going to give you a couple of other divisions to work for you, to, to report to you, because you've got to know the legal and financial areas, and you might take them, and, by the way, the COO is a great manager. She can handle more people. You might have the legal officer and the financial officer taken away from the administrative officer in order to work for the COO because the COO has good managerial skills and she needs that in order to grow into the CEO role. And that's because of who is in the COO role. You might structure the company and have the line divisions reporting to a blank job of COO, but then when you fill it up with a person who's fabulous, you'd say, I want to have more people reporting to her because she's going to be the next CEO, and I want her to have all the right relationships there. That's the big thing I can tell you is consider the people you have in the roles and then change things based on that. Don't have uh, Joe's worst enemy reporting to Joe if they hate each other. Now, the fact that they shouldn't hate each other is a whole separate discussion. But, but don't put your East Coast sales manager, who is the superstar of the firm, reporting to the VP of sales, whom he despises with every fiber of his being. Don't do that. So consider people. Um, and then after that, thank you, you've probably got to send a more detailed note to help you um, uh, make some decisions. If you have new managers with more than 15 people reporting to them, you're crazy. It won't work. 
Um, once out of every ten times it will work because you get lucky and the person was naturally a gifted manager and knew how to manage. The other nine will implode and you will wonder what was wrong and you think you have a bunch of bad managers. No, they just don't know how to manage yet. They need a year to start with five or six people um, before they get better managing more. Okay, next question from Kurt. One of my skips recently asked me to provide a recommendation on LinkedIn. Do you have any guidelines for handling this kind of request? Yes, Kurt, say no. Um, now, now that's a generic big picture answer, but, but um, unless you have detailed experience with this person, unless your thought immediately was, man, you know, Kurt, let's say I'm the skip and you say, man, that guy, Mark, he's awesome. I love him. Of course I would give a recommendation. Unless that's your recommendation, unless that's your thought, unless you think Mark deserves a recommendation, even if I wasn't asked, then just say no. And the way to say no is is just politely say, I'm sorry, I just generally don't do that. Okay. Now, if you've done a lot of other ones, um, then okay, you then you need to tell this person, unfortunately, I've given some recommendations, I'm holding off on them now, or I generally only recommend people who've worked directly for me. Um, and if you're giving more details, Kurt, I'll have to provide more detailed a more detailed answer. Um, okay, from Jill, um, the question is. Uh, my senior manager has three team leaders uh, and, and a secretary, um, and uh, he asks the leaders to manage and assign work for the secretary. Okay, so the managers report to the senior manager, and so does the secretary. But the secretary is is being is doing work for the managers as well. Uh, secretary is rarely seen at her desk. No clear work hours. Three leaders have no idea where the secretary is, personal calendar not up to date. Okay. Um, I'm developing a reputation with the secretary as someone who, that is out for her, out to get her, if you will. Um, uh, I've also suggested that each three leaders do at least one one-on-one on, one on one a month with her. I wouldn't do that. How can we do this with minimal damage to the relationship with the secretary, or is that even possible? Look, this is easy, Joe. Um, the secretary is not doing her job at least as far as you see it, in terms of her being at her desk. Um, and as simple as, hey, when you're not at your desk, it's hard for us to find you. Um, and, and when you're not at your desk and I try to call you and, you and I get voicemail, we don't know where you are and you're less responsive. Um, I would um, talk to the boss about giving feedback to her. Uh, you can give her pure feedback if you like. When, you, know, you don't have to say, can I give you some feedback? You don't have to use step four. Step, the pure feedback model is two steps. Hey, when you do that, here's what happens, and then and then share a note with the boss about what's happening. Um, I, I I don't think you do one-on-ones with her. Uh, you could do peer one-on-ones because you and her both report to the boss. Um, you know, uh, 15 minutes for her, 15 minutes for you, or 15, I say her. Those folks, just in case you're wondering, uh, Jill did identify the the secretary as being female. Um, uh, so I don't know that you need accountability in general for her. I think she reports to your boss. Hopefully you've told your boss how terrible she's doing. Give detailed behavioral reports on what she did and didn't do. Um, and look, if your boss totally sides with her, then okay, you're out of luck. On the other hand, if your boss listens to you and you say, look, here are the 25 things that happened while you were gone, maybe the boss will have a discussion with her. Um, should you give her uh, boss the subordinate feedback? No, that's for, the, that's for your boss to do. Okay, last question from Jason. During an interview process, when is it the right time to bring up concerns you have about the opportunity? Do you wait till you have the offer and raise concerns? Yes, Jason, yes, 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 yes. 
Next question is, do you raise them during the process? No, which could risk your chances of getting an offer. No. Uh, a friend of mine, Jason says, held her concerns until the offer was given. She raised a concern and the offer was rescinded. Uh, I can't tell if she did the right thing. No, she did the right thing and the company did the wrong thing. The offer is, is for the company to say, we want you to come work for us. I don't know what her concerns were. They could have been delivered clumsily, but generally speaking, we expect the company to be professional and tolerate a little bit of, uh, of um, difficulty there. Um, but no, it's the only time you ask questions about concerns would be once you get the offer. Um, now, there are, I, there are some rare cases where the concerns are significant uh, in some way, and Jason, I don't know what you're referring to. But in general, if you have questions, you wait until you get the offer. There are two parts to the job search, getting offers and then taking offers. You don't ask questions about an offer you don't have when you don't have it. And it makes no sense to share concerns you have until you have an offer. Your concerns are moot until you have an offer because you haven't proven to them. And frankly, if you're asking questions about concerns you have, that would be time you're not spent selling them on why you should be right for the job. Jason, if, if you think the concerns are particularly unique or scary or something, and you want to send me an email, please do so. I think I'm out of time, right, Mike? You are out of time, but you got through them all. Good. Yeah, yeah. I think there were some people who didn't think I would, but I did. I, I, I might have been one of them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. Sorry if you had questions you didn't get a chance to ask them. Uh, I apologize. Uh, maybe we'll get to them uh, next time. We'd love to get your feedback on on conference yeah. tonight. If you want to send that to show at manager-tools.com, that'd be great. That would get both to Mark and me as well as the entire as well as the entire staff here. So we'd love to hear from you all. With that, thanks for joining us. Y'all have a good night. We're Bye, everybody. Bye bye.